0: Well, it's good to be here with you today. You know, about two months ago, Pastor Scott asked if I would preach today for him. And after I finalized that I could do that, I said, do you realize what you've just done? And he said, no, what are you talking about? I said, do you realize you asked me to preach on the Sunday right after the World Series ends? And Scott knew something about me. He doesn't really like it about me. You probably don't like it about me. I'm a huge Dodger fan. (laughs) <laughs> okay, a few of you like that about me And a couple months ago The Dodgers were by far the favorites to win the World Series And so I told them Here's what's likely to happen Is the Dodgers are going to win the World Series That Sunday's going to come And I'm going to come strutting out on stage In full Dodger gear And it's going to be all your fault Because you asked me to preach today Knowing that that would be the case um, Now I then turned to the text. And I realized today's text is on humility. (laughs) And so I thought the same thing any of you would have thought. How can I pretend that I'm being humble while still strutting on the stage in my Dodger gear? (laughs) And then I had this fear go through my heart. What if God is using this as an opportunity to humble me? What if the next couple months don't go as I plan on going? Now, spoiler alert, my team didn't make the World Series. In fact, spoiler alert, my team didn't get out of the first round. In fact, there are blog posts right now about the one-win team and how we post more than that because we only won one game in the entire postseason. I love this series because it's so real to our lives today. How do I live in a hostile world? How do I live in the midst of pain, uncertainty, chaos, unpredictability? Let me get right to our big idea for today. You must bathe in humility if you want to thrive in hostility. If you want to thrive in a hostile world, if you want to be a living hope in a hostile world, you have to bathe in humility. Now, there's a difference, and you know this, between washing your hands and taking a bath. You, you wash your hands quickly, or maybe you spend a little more time now that we're post-COVID washing your hands. Um, but when you take a bath, you get to the point where your skin is pruned up, right? You have bathed. What we're talking about today isn't washing your hands in humility, It's that we must bathe in humility if we want to thrive in hostility. You know, this isn't the answer I usually want to hear. When I think of what I want to be doing in the world, I think of how there's so many things we can focus on. There's so many things we need to fix. There's so many things that need to be done. Why should I care about humility? Humility, the Greek word "tapanal." To make low. And the idea isn't to make lower than it really is. The idea is that uh, we've elevated ourselves somehow and we're being brought low to the place to which we really are. In fact, Charles Spurgeon has this quote about humility humility is a proper estimate of oneself, it's the proper understanding of oneself. It's not thinking of yourself lower than what you really are, but it's coming from where we often think of ourselves and having a proper estimate of ourselves. Our text today is going to be in First Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. And why don't we, as we honor God's word, if you're able to, stand with me, um, whether you have it on your Bible or um, on a digital device, or it's going to be up here on the screen if you want. First Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed, shepherd God's flock among you, not overseen out of compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not out of greed for money, but eagerly, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. In the same way, you who are younger be subject to the elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him, Because he cares about you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us today to understand your word. I pray that you would help us to bathe in humility today. To see the importance of it. To understand the areas where we need to grow in that. We pray that you would work as only you can in this room today. We love you, God, in your name. Amen. You may be seated. So we have to bathe in humility if we want to thrive in hostility. And the question we're going to be looking at today is, why should I care about humility? Why should I focus on that? Why should I worry about that among all the things that I'm focusing on in life? Why should I care about humility? And the first reason that we should care about humility is this. The alternatives to humility are powerless and destructive. We're going to look this morning at two quickly alternatives that we could go to instead of humility. And they don't work. They're powerless. And they're destructive. They're harmful. The first alternative is pride. Pride in the Greek has the connotation of being bloated, overinflated, extended past its proper use. The idea was often of an internal organ, so think of your internal organs uh, of your body and and think of an internal organ that's bloated, um, that's beyond its proper size. It's going to be painful, it's not right, it's not helpful. Pride is when we have too high of a view of ourselves. Pride's the idea that say, "You know, I don't need God. I got this." And we may think of pride when we're thinking of whether we need God for salvation, whether we even need to have a relationship with God. We could think of pride with just how we live our lives. Ah, I got this issue. I got it covered. I don't need God. I'm good. And you know, that idea of pride can be a statement, and for most of us in the room, we probably wouldn't go around saying, no, I don't need God, I'm good. But by lifestyle, we could be saying that. By the way we live our life, by our attitudes, by our responses. Daniel Henderson has said this, prayerlessness is our declaration of independence from God. Prayerlessness is declaring, I don't need God. I got this. I'm good. So alternative one is pride. Alternative two is going the other way. It's self-loathing. It's a false humility. When you're in this kind of position, you are putting yourself down, not bringing yourself to a proper estimate of yourself, like Spurgeon was talking about, but but even below that uh, of putting yourself down of letting others put you down and define who you are instead of God defining who you are. It can be a lack of proper care, of not doing the things that God desires you to do to be a healthy person with your body, with your emotions, your self-care. I remember as a kid um, when I was in youth group um, junior high high school years there there'd be a phrase you've probably heard it that has gone around throughout christianity and and it would be joy jesus first others second yourself third and the struggle i always had with that is i never figured out how i'd ever get to the myself part like if i spent my time first on jesus and did all that until i was done with um, jesus um, how do you ever even get to others And then you get to others and meet the need of others. Do you ever have yourself there? And so I always struggled. It never helped me much. Um, But the idea of it is it was thinking of the interests of others, but to an extreme. Both alternatives don't work. Either pride or self-loathing. Both of them are destructive. You have to bathe in humility if you want to thrive in hostility. Why should we care about humility? Second reason, humility is essential for exile living. Humility is essential for exile living. You know, when I was in school... I, I remember times where you'd go in on the first day of class, and the professor would say, out of the entire program, this is the most important class you are ever going to take. Now, next semester, you'd take another class, and some professor would say, this is the most important class that you're ever going to take. In fact, I had semesters where I had several classes where it was the most important class that I was ever going to take. Now, I don't want to say that today's topic and today's passage is the most important one in First Peter. But since Pastor Scott isn't here, let's just keep this between ourselves, okay? You don't need to tell him this. This is the most important section uh, of this entire book. And I could prove it. Remember I told you a couple months ago, Pastor Scott asked if I would preach, and what happens is when you preach occasionally, you, you look at the passage and you start to work it through and you have your ideas of, okay, this is where we're going to go on this and this is where the passage is leading, and then you come to church every week and you get these panic moments because I'm sitting in my seat listening to the sermon and Scott will start to talk about my topic. And it just, if you saw my heart, it would have this, this just f- f- picture of fear on it of, oh no, don't go there because I don't have a plan B. <laughs> I don't have anything else of how I'm teaching this passage. And it's not as bad when it's eight weeks out. When you get to one or two weeks out, it really gets scary because you don't have a lot of time to figure out what the plan B is going to work. Do you know what ha- has happened in First Peter? It hasn't been every single sermon, but almost every sermon The topic of humility has come up. Almost every single sermon. And if you disagree with me on this point, that this is the most important section, what you have to do before you come and talk to me is you have to go back and listen to the entire series in 1 Peter and listen to how many times it's come up. The reason it comes up so often is because none of this works without humility. 1 Peter does not work without humility, at all. Andrew Murray, who's written a great book on humility, says this. Humility is the only soil in which virtue takes root. A lack of humility is the explanation of every defect and failure. Humility is not so much a virtue along with the others but it's the root of all because it alone takes the right attitude before God and allows him as God to do all first peter does not work without humility in fact christianity doesn't work without humility Think back to to, to where, if you were thinking through the Bible and you're thinking through um, what the big themes are and what Christianity is all about, if you started with um, sin and the topic of sin. And we have different definitions to try to help us understand what sin is, like missing the mark or, or different ideas like that. But when you really think of what's going in the mind and the heart of someone... When they're choosing to sin. It's a moment where they have a couple different choices. Choice one, do it God's way. Choice two, do it my way. And when I sin, I'm saying, you know what, for whatever reason, I don't think God's way is the best way here. I'm going to do it my way. Christianity doesn't work without humility. I mean, think of God's solution to that problem that, that we are sinners and, and don't deserve to be in His presence, that we deserve eternal punishment. And what's God's solution? If I were coming up with plans uh, on my own and I didn't already know the answer, I would have, you know, tried to be a good person, hope that God grades on the curve, hope that that works out that way. And God's plan is nope here's what the plan's going to be. You can't solve your problem on your own. You don't have what it takes to do it. So Jesus is going to come and he's going to die on the cross to take the penalty for your sins. And then he's going to rise again to conquer death. And you know what your role in this whole process is? You get to accept the free gift that he offers you. You're handed a present and you unwrap it. Christianity doesn't work without humility. The whole moment when you become a Christian is saying, I can't do it, I don't have what it takes. Andrew Murray says, it's not the sin that humbles, but grace. It's grace that humbles us. And then... After we become a Christian, we move on to uh, the sanctification process, wh- which is the big theological word we use for, for growing up, the next steps after you accept Christ. It's a time when, when you're growing as a believer, when you're try- seeking to impact the world for Jesus Christ because of what God's done for you. And if you step forth and say, because of what God's done, I'm now going to go impact the world. I'm going to change uh, in my own power. And God says, yeah, no, nope, that's not going to work. You're going to change and you're going to impact the world because of the power of the Holy Spirit living within you. See, Christianity doesn't work without humility, humility reflects reality. A huge part of the struggle in this world is is that right now everyone just knows they're right. (laughs) About everything, everyone just knows they're right. I'm certain that I'm right about my politics. Is it possible God may choose to vote differently than I would? I'm certain that I'm Right about my understanding of all these passages of scripture. Is it possible that my understanding about some of them was wrong? I'm certain that I'm right about how to love other people. Is it possible that how I interact with others should be different? I had a professor when I was in seminary. He taught the prophets, so Isaiah through Malachi. Um, And and he was phenomenal, great professor. And by the time I had him, he had taught through the prophets about 50 times. Um, sometimes he taught him twice in the same semester, um, once to undergrads and once to grad students. He, he did that the semester I was doing it. And every day when he approached the text that he was going to teach that next day, he, he would be at home and he had a chair, that, um, a nice comfortable chair next to his fireplace. Um, this was up in Portland, so fireplaces were very much appreciated there. And he would open the Bible and he'd say, God, here's what I'm teaching on tomorrow. Help me to see what I've been missing all these times. Do you know how easy it would be when you're on your 50th time through the curriculum to just pull out your notes? <laughs> he was the one who taught me that whenever I'm looking at a passage of Scripture, and especially if I'm going to be teaching or something along that line, um, that I open it up and say, God, what have I gotten wrong so far? Where don't I understand you correctly here? Where don't I understand this passage? Where have I gotten it wrong? Humility is a statement that I do not know everything. Humility is a statement that I do not walk on water. Humility is a statement that I am not in control of everything. Humility is a statement that God is in control. Jonathan Edwards said this, Nothing sets a person so much out of the devil's reach as humility. What a great statement. We have to bathe in humility if we want to thrive in hostility. Why should I care about humility? Because humility is vital in all relationships. Now, this text we have today talks about elders, and then it talks about humility down below. I think the text is really about humility. Elders is an example of humility. Um, So so that's where he's using as his illustration is the elders and and, um, the the, the text is about humility. And as we look at the text a little bit, he says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ. Now, you think about who's writing this book. It's Peter. And Peter does talk about, I saw the sufferings of Christ, but but notice how he identifies, I'm a fellow elder. I'm talking to you elders here and elders for generations to come as a fellow elder. Um, Peter could take a little higher credentials if he wanted to. Peter could say, Hey, I, I was one of the disciples who spent three years with him. In fact, I, I was kind of one of the three that were the closest with him. Him and I were kind of like, you know, best friends forever. We, we had the bracelets, we had everything going on here. Um, we were really, really close. Or he could have gone ahead and just said it I'm an apostle. <laughs> I'm actually one of the people who write scripture. And he comes in and just begins with humility. I'm a fellow elder. I'm coming to you as a fellow elder. Shepherd God's flock among you. And among the elders who would have heard this then and elders who hear that today, they'd realize something because um, their theology would help them to understand it, that, that it's quite a statement to make to a person to shepherd God's flock. Because we know from Scripture that we are sheep. And when we become a Christian, we're still sheep who still need the great shepherd. And that when we become elders, we're still sheep. And so he's saying, fellow elders as sheep you are going to shepherd the sheep. Which is a command that just drips of humility. Like, how do I qualify to do this? Not overseen out of compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. If you're going to be an elder, step in and do, do so willingly if God's called you to do so, as God would have you do it, step in and do so. Why would you not want to do so? Why would you not want to step in willingly? Realize what the last chapter was about because this started with so at the beginning, so it's tying into chapter 4, and chapter 4 was about suffering. And if the people are suffering, it's a good chance that the leaders of the people are going to suffer even more. And the people who this is going to be talking about would know their theology that God judges the elders and the leaders even at a harsher level than he judges people who aren't in leadership. So there'd be a lot of good reasons why they wouldn't want to step in and do this. And he tells them, if God's called you to do it, do so willingly. This would be like the worst sermon ever for like elder recruitment, wouldn't it? (laughs) Don't do it out of greed for money, but eagerly. Some elders are paid and some do it voluntarily, but um, either way, that shouldn't be your priority. You should be doing it um, because of God's call on your life. Don't lord it over those entrusted to you, but be examples to the flock. The idea of being an example is someone stepping forward and saying, I'm just going to be authentic and real with you. I'm going to be an example of what it's like to be a sheep walking through this world. And he even lays out more why we should be humble because as you're seeking to shepherd others, the chief, there's a chief shepherd. There's someone who, who's above you in that process. So be humble. One of the key tasks of an elder is to have their one agenda to be whatever the agenda of God is. And I'm so grateful that as I work with and have the privilege of being part of the elder team here, that I work with a team who we seek to put any personal agendas we might have aside And to come in and say, we want the one agenda item to be God's agenda. We want this church to be about Jesus. There are so many times when I walk into an elder meeting and I know an issue we're going to discuss and I know what I think the right answer is going to be, um, but then you know how we, we figure out what God's doing is we're all working together on that. We're all seeking to pray. We're coming with our different backgrounds and we're all laying out the different options and thinking it through. And the answer ends up being different than what I knew it was going to be walking in. And that's happened to, with every elder and our, our team. Because none of us knows it all. There's a time when churches get into trouble. There's times when ministries get into trouble. And it's when they go through a crisis time. And they go through a crisis time, and the temptation could be instead of saying, I want to do it God's way, is we've got to somehow protect the ministry. We've got to protect the reputation of God. We've got to come up with some way to make sure people don't find out what's really happening or what's really happened. I'm so, so grateful we're not in a crisis time here at this church. I'm so grateful that we're not walking through that. It's It's a challenging time for any church or ministry to be in if that happens. But from the way I see our elders act day by day, we are committed to having the agenda of Jesus be the agenda of the church and to doing it God's way and trusting him in that process no matter what. You know, the text goes on here and it talks about in the same way everyone, uh, the younger should be subject to the elders and then all of you clothe yourself. Clothe yourselves, kind of like the bathe yourself, right? It's a, it's a total immersion into it with humility towards one another because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Like you, you can humble yourself or God's going to humble you because it's not going to work for you to try the other alternatives, So either humble yourself or God's going to act. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you at the proper time casting all your cares on him because he cares about you. We humble ourselves and we trust him to care about us. Think of how this applies in so many areas. Think of community groups that so many of you are a part of. And how well community groups work when we come in and we humble ourselves. We say, I'm going to be honest with my group about what's going on. And I'm not going to come in as the answer person. Terry Crews has said this. You know, Terry Crews, um, America's Got Talent, all sorts of other shows. Um, I heard his testimony earlier this year, just a tremendous, tremendous testimony of of the person that he is. He says, my mantra is this, humble yourself, discover what your monsters are, be honest with yourself. Not a bad description of what a community group should look like, is it? (laughs) Humble yourself, be honest, find out what the things that are really your struggle area, be honest about them to yourself and to others. Was, um, we do, if you preach here, you, you do on Thursday a run-through with the staff. You, you preach a sermon ahead of time. And they give feedback then. And Pastor Josh, when we got to this point, was, was talking about how he, he said, I don't even know if humility can happen without community. And I was thinking about that and how true that is. Humility is formed in community. And think about the times when your life has grown in humility. When, When you get married and all of a sudden there's another person you're doing life with. It takes some humility to make that work. And then kids are born into the equation. And before I had kids, I knew all the answers of how to be a perfect parent. The opportunity and community to develop as a person of humility or of ministry teams and working together in ministry. Years ago, I was part of a missions team. It wasn't at this church. It was at a different church. And um, there was a guy on the the missions team who would just stop so many of the great mission projects or opportunities we had because of the policy manual. The policy manual says this, we can't do that. And it was frustrating me. And so I got to know him a little bit, and I realized something about him as I got to know him. Um, For his career, he was retired, but for his career, he worked for NASA. In fact, when you hear the the takeoff things, and they'll be going through a couple minutes before, and they'll be checking with all the different systems, and they'll check on this person, it's a go, it's a go, it's a go, it's a go. He was one of the people that had a whole group under him. They would all have to report to him, and then he'd have his one second where it says, yep, it's a go, or no, we're going to stop. And I realized that he spent his entire career with this pressure on him that if he did not follow the policy manual, rockets crash and people die. I never lived in that kind of situation. I never lived with that kind of pressure. It helped me understand him so much more. I still was frustrated. But I got where he was coming from. Sometimes humility is shifting from being judgmental to being curious. I went from judging him to trying to understand what made him tick. I'll tell you, one of the most vulnerable things to me is what I was just telling you about the preaching run-through. And I I never did this before preaching here, but now I will preach the sermon the week before I preach here. I preach it one-on-one with my wife. And she makes me even stand up. I don't even get to sit down on the couch next her. I have to stand and, and preach the sermon. <laughs> and then I preach it before the staff. And you know what? The most nervous times I have when I preach, number one most nervous time is when I preach it to my wife. Number two most nervous time is when I preach it to the staff. You are easy. <laughs> Because those are people I care about so very much at a deep relationship level. Who I know well. Who their opinion of me matters so much. And it feels vulnerable. It feels like I'm just open bare to them. And you know what? For decades of preaching, my attitude much more to my wife or to others was, Yeah, you want to know what my sermon's about? Come on Sunday. You'll hear it then. And my sermons are so much better because of the feedback and the interaction I get. Because of the willingness to be humble and to step into that vulnerability. Think of humility in marriage. You know, Pastor Scott said something that impacted me a few weeks ago when he was talking about marriage um, during this series. And he was talking about the obligation that a husband has to understand his wife. And what struck me as I was thinking about that is that if I don't understand my wife on something, if we're struggling through an area or I don't get why she's thinking or doing or thinking the things she does or how she wants to do something that's not because that she is not understandable. It's because I haven't done my job and I haven't humbled myself to understand her. Or with your kids. I've... Greatly enjoyed as my kids are growing now, the the conversations we're able to have, the things where I learned from them. I don't know how it happened, but all three of my kids are so much smarter than I am. If you took my um, brains and multiplied it with Lisa's brains, our kids are still greater than that. I, I don't know how that happened. And it's so much fun to be able to learn from them. This last week, I was thinking through ballot issues and calling, um, interacting with some of our kids and saying, hey, what you got on this person? What do you know? What have you seen? It's a humility with my kids. And this week coming up, even a humility with people we might interact in politics with how people vote. got something else i want to talk about before we're totally done but i got a few next steps so i'm warning you i'm coming back to something because i know when we say next steps that means put your bible away no it doesn't um just stay with me and the reason i know that is because i do that every week when pastor scott says next steps so next steps here number one name one area of your life that you need to bathe in humility one area of life that you need to bathe in humility Step number two. Based on step number one, what one step can you take to make that happen? You don't have to fully solve the thing this week, right? What's just one step? If full maturity would be like being up in the balcony, I can't get from here to the balcony right now. I don't have that ability, but I could do this. What's one step you could take with the area that you talked about in number one? Now, some of you might want a greater opportunity here. So this is like the graduate school opportunity here. If you're ready for the grad school level, here's your assignment this week. Ask one person you trust. What is one area where I'm not humble? Ask one person you trust. What's there? one area where I'm not humble? You know, if I were thinking, because we've asked the question of why should I care about humility, is there anyone who doesn't need to care about humility? Is there anyone right now? I'm exempt. I'm good. And if I were thinking through the history of the world, I'd be able to come up with one person where it would make sense to me that this person would not have needed to care about humility. Like Jesus should get a passion, he, because he is God after all. And you know what? There's this incredible passage in Philippians chapter 2 that talks about the humility of Jesus. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. It goes down through this section here. If then there's any encouragement in Christ, any consolation of love, any fellowship with the Spirit, any affection and mercy, make my joy complete, this is Paul writing, by thinking the same way, having the same love, being united in Spirit, being intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourself. So there's a definition of humility. Consider others as more important than yourself. Love people. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. Want an example of this whole humility thing? Want an example of thinking of the interests of others? Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. The one person who I thought could be exempt from this whole thing. Like if Jesus isn't exempt, then I'm not exempt. Who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant taking on the likeness of humanity. Humility step number one. He was in heaven. He chose to come to earth in the form of a human being. then he didn't stop there. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even to death on a cross. Humility point number two. First, he came here when he didn't have to come here. And second, then he died on a cross when he didn't have to do so. He did nothing worthy of death. We did something worthy of death. He died in our place. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that's above every name. Remember earlier I talked in our passage about humble yourself and God will raise you up. God will exalt you. God gave him the name that's above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The single greatest example of humility And it's the person who I thought should be exempt. Why should we care about humility? Because Christianity doesn't work without it. First Peter doesn't work without it. This is the example of Jesus himself. What makes Christianity Christianity was forged through Humility.